Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. You know, a good week can be filled with trials. can still be a good week. can be full of difficulties and some tribulation. can still be a good week. doesn't mean it was a bad week. Um, a good week can be filled with uh, stress. And pressures. And it can still be a good week. You can wake up and it could be 10 below zero. And it can be a good day. You could wake up and it could be cold and your car not start. And everything goes wrong. And it can still be a good day. It all kind of depends on what you choose about you and how you're going to face that day. How you're going to face it, right? I think of a man who knew that this was his last day. Not only was he going to suffer, but he was going to suffer the most excruciating pain ever inflicted on a human being. And then eventually go to the cross, yield his life for you and me, and for a people that were, you know, unthankful. And it was a good day because it completely changed eternity. How you approach your day can completely change the rest of your day. Well, I'm not going to talk about that at all. I don't even know how I got onto that. My message today is follow-up of a few weeks ago, soul control. <laughs> and this is soul control part two. For those of you that know French, it's un, deux, trois. Part deux. Uh, when a person comes to Christ, I'll lay a little bit back of where we started with soul control. When a person comes to Christ, their spirit is born again. They receive life and revelation in themselves. But their soul has already been alive for however long they've lived. Most often when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, one of the first things they, they do is the Spirit of God bears witness with their spirit, and they say, there is a Savior, and he saved me. My own uh, experience was I was preached to many, many times over the years. I looked at things as, well, Christians need a crutch, so they have Jesus. Um, I was told, you know, I was a sinner and I was going to go to hell. And I responded with, well, most of my friends will be there, so we'll have a good time. 
You know, we come up with all these things. Well, what patterned me, what, what brought me to that was my soul had been getting trained from birth to a certain type of thinking. Last week, a powerful message by Mike McSwain on those temples and things underground and the carvings that are in the walls of those things. They're not just painted on the walls, but carved into the walls. I, I took that as a, a picture of how our souls get uh, trained. They just get carved into by the conditioning of the world, what we experience, how, uh, what the God of this world has been training us all along. But when we get born again, immediately there's that, there is a Savior and He saved me. And then very quickly, the soul or the intellect, the emotion, the mind, whatever you want to call it, rises up in rebellion because it's used to being in control. It's used to having the control over your actions. It rises up and the believer begins to doubt their salvation. And even justifiably, it says, look, you're acting just like you did yesterday. What's this all about? You're still faced with these things. Nothing's changed. So I believe that it's absolutely critical for the believer when he receives Christ um, to establish his spirit, their spirit in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's vital that you establish your spirit and fortify yourself with God's word. Not with reasoning, not with self-help, not with positive thinking. You can do all those things. I'm not going to take those away. I'm just going to say that there's one that's sharp enough to divide and discern your innermost thoughts. Did you know you have innermost thoughts? Let's go over to Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. My personal experience of when I received Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll just give you a little, um, for those that have only heard it 10 times, 
but, you know, I met my wife, and she began to say things to me about the Lord and about prayer and about reading the Bible. And I was cool with all of that until I wasn't. And this one day we're walking from our place up uh, Huffman Road in Anchorage. We're walking down towards the Seward Highway just to go for a walk in the uh, fall, fall colors. And uh, as typical, the conversation turns towards God. And I, I, I just had heard enough. And I said, listen. If God is real, he's just going to have to tell me himself. In other words, I was like, I've heard it from you. I need to hear it from him. If God is real, he's just going to have to make it known to me himself. About that time, a truck goes driving by. The opposite direction stops, turns around, and pulls up next to us. Says, you want to ride? I said, no. Number one, you were going the opposite direction. You turn around. No, we don't want to ride. And he said, well, you should get in because God told me to stop and pick you up. <laughs> we end up in his truck. He tells me, he, he says a few things. And, of course, Nancy's nodding. Yeah, yeah. And he, he looks at me and he says, and this is, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said uh, these words, and there's no way you're ever going to get to know him. And I was like, hang back, dude. Who do you think you are telling me I can't know God? A minute ago, I said, if God wants me to know him, he'll have to tell me himself. Now, who are you to tell me I can't know God? He says, you can't until you give your life to Jesus Christ. And we lived pretty private life. We didn't let people know where we lived up there. It was kind of a group of us. And this guy was so good. He says, well, I'll take you home. Well, we weren't going home, but we're like, okay. He says, now I know where you live. I'll be here Thursday night. I'll pick you up and take you to church. <laughs> so he picks us up. We forgot. I forgot. This guy shows up. Hey, I'm here to take you to church. He takes us to this church, big church in Anchorage there. Never been to any, anything like it. And... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we weren't the best smelling. My wife, I'm not speaking for her. I was not the best smelling person. We had wood, wood stove. You know, we just lived in the woods. You know how that can be. And we were, you know, not walking with the Lord and all the different odd incense flavors that can come with that. And... Uh, he takes us to this church, and it's full of all these fancy people, you know, big hair. Back then, it was big hair, church ladies and stuff. And, and we got squeezed into the middle of this, this uh, 
Um, Pew. Thank you. And uh, they started singing. They started worshiping. And I had never heard anything like that. And they lifted their hands. And I was just like, what is going on in this place? Well, that was a lot of what was going on. But what was really going on was there was a change taking place. God was about to tell me himself. And uh, I'll never forget, after they had some uh, singing, just they broke out into this free worship. And uh, I thought I heard angelic singing. And to this day, I believe there was angels singing with them. And uh, then a, a man got up and spoke in tongues, gave a message in tongues. And I was like, hey, I think they speak Hebrew here. <laughs> and my wife says, no, that's tongues. And I go, oh, yeah, tongues talkers. I've heard of this. But then they interpreted. And the man that interpreted this message I got to tell you, it was just like, all of a sudden, I am a sinner, and I need to be saved. Save me, God. I didn't wait for an altar call. I didn't wait for anybody to give me the, the, the sinner's prayer, nothing. I just said, I, I need to be saved. I need you, Jesus. And I was saved at that moment, and it was like, you know, just this huge lifting of weight off of my life. And uh, I knew at that moment that there was a Savior and he had saved me. And then I went home and immediately doubted it all. But fortunately, my wife was a woman of the word, and I began to read the word for the first time. I mean, before this, I, I attempted reading this book, and I might as well have had it upside down. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Of course, I started in Ezekiel. <laughs> but uh, I immediately began to doubt, but I persisted with, I know something happened. And God began to then convert my soul. Uh, Psalms 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. There's an old song by Lead Belly. Anybody know who Lead Belly is? He's an old blues singer from way back in the 20s, and he sang a song called, uh, Must Have Pure Religion, you must have religion and your soul converted. See, it's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to allow the word of God to begin to convert, transform, and renew, and regenerate your soul. You need soul control. 
One of my favorite movies is What About Bob? Anybody ever seen What About Bob? <laughs> hey, yeah. If you haven't, uh, we should set up a What About Bob night. What about Bob? I need, I need, I need. That's a perfect example of your soul right there. It's like, here's the thing that can set you free. No, I need, I need. Dr. Marvin, Dr. Marvin, <laughs> give me, give me. <laughs> you know, I watched that thing three times before I figured out the connection between his goldfish that he wore in the, the little bowl and its name, Gil. <laughs> it took me that long make that connection. I went, hey, that's pretty good. Some of you are still trying to make that connection. I, I want to read that Psalm 19 out of the Passion Translation. Are you with me so far? In verse 7, Psalm 19, it says, God's, per God's word is perfect in every way. How it revives our souls. You know, if your soul is downcast, the book of Psalms is probably the best book when it comes to dealing with the soul. In fact, it kind of, one of my favorites is in there, in Psalm 139, search me, O God. And know me. If you find any way in me that's displeasing to you, change me. See, I like that because, and where I want to go with this, it's not about you improving yourself. It's about you acknowledging your need and God taking over and bringing about change in your life. So many Christians never allow their souls to be converted and changed. And they may say, well, I've been in the Lord 20 years. I've been saved 20 years. Well, they're not 20 years old in the Lord. They're one year old in the Lord with 20 anniversaries because they've never allowed the spirit to take control of their lives and convert their souls to where it's bringing glory to God in all that they do. They wake up in the morning, it's a bad day, it's a bad day all day. They wake up in the afternoon and they're grouchy, they got the hangries, and they just stay that way. They never speak to their soul. God's word is perfect in every way, how it revives our souls. His law leads us to truth. His ways change the simple into wise. His teachings make us joyful and radiate the light. His precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. The revelation light of his word makes my spirit shine radiant. Every one of the Lord's commands is right. Following them brings cheer. I like that. Nothing he says ever needs to be changed. The rarest treasures of life are found in his truth. That's why I prize God's word 
like other prizes, like others prize the finest gold. Nothing brings the soul such sweetness as seeking his living words. You get born again, your spirit is revived, but your soul is like an ill-disciplined child. The soul needs to go through a conversion process. It needs to go through a disciplinary process. It needs to go through a a change so it can become mature. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's saying, "I, I couldn't talk to you as mature Christians. Uh, in, in one translation, it says, I had to talk to you. You're carnal in your thinking. You've not become spiritual in your thinking. You've become just allowed your souls to continue to dominate your life. He says, I couldn't speak to you like adults, but like children. I believe God is putting pressure on the American church to begin to change the way we allow ourselves to live our Christian lives out. There's another aspect at work here along with that. It's not that your soul alone is just an ill-disciplined, I need, I need, I need, what about Bob? soul, there's also a warfare at play. If the enemy, if your enemy, the devil, can keep you from allowing your soul to be converted and transformed and changed and your mind to be renewed daily, he can keep you from becoming an effective warrior in Christ. He can keep you from being ill-effective when it comes to the kingdom of God. He's lost you. He's lost the war as far as the um, salvation when your spirit's born again. But he will continue the battle against and wage battle against your soul to keep you completely ineffectual, ineffectual. The devil does not want you to become a mature, thinking, thriving, spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian. Thank you. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's referring to yourself as well. But we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't know what it says in the New Living Translation because I'm not reading it right now. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. All right, what does that have to do with your soul? That's what trained your soul. From the 
From the time of birth, your soul was being trained and conditioned in the things of the world, in the earthly thinking, by the influences brought about that were brought about in your life, whether through bloodlines, whether through uh, ancestors, and it's just kind of a part of the way things are in, in, in your being, in your DNA, or what particular, uh, we're seeing great results of our education system today. It's began to really manifest itself. So all of those things have an effect on your soul of trying to condition you to become what the world wants you to be, what the enemy wants you to be, and not become what God has called you and designed you to be. Let's go to the book of Job. How does Job affect us in our souls? I'm going to start with the first part of Job and go way back towards the end of Job. So I'll just read here. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Job's the one that coined the term, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better. So all of this stuff is going on. Job's a righteous man. He's done these things for his children. His children are following his example. And then on the first day, oh, one day, one day, not first day, in verse 6, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything going on. Well, we know that that was a lie. Let me correct that right there. That in itself is a boastful lie. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omniscient. Satan can only see certain things, and he honed in on Job because Job was a righteous man before God. So you don't think you being a righteous man or woman of God, that Satan will not hone in on you sometime and say, and bring you before God? Yeah, they're just worshiping you today because, you know, it makes them feel good. God says, no, they're mine. I've made them, I've washed them, they're clean. Anyway, so Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, 
Why, Satan can't open his mouth without it being a lie. He just can't do it. And we're going to get into that near the end of Job. So you'll see this in fruition. Um, what's going on? And the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? The Lord knew where Satan was going with all of this. He wasn't caught off guard, by the way. He knew exactly what was in Satan's heart and mind. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man complete with complete of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, Job went through a long process after that. He lost his riches. He lost his health. He lost his friends. He lost all of his support network. Even his wife said, Job, just curse God and go die. You're making all of us miserable. It's so excruciating watching your misery. Just go curse God and die. Job made a statement. He says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Now let's go over into um, chapter 41. My wife was reading to me at the same time I'd was putting this together, she was in her daily readings, she started to read me about Elihu, who was one of Job's friends, and uh, telling Job, you know, that basically, I know you're older, and I know this, and I know that, but I really got your number. Your problem, Job, is you. Your problem is this. And, you know, When you're really, let's let that be as an example. When someone you know is really suffering, don't tell them what's wrong with them. You know, the best thing you could do is just sit down with them. Maybe just sit there. I love this in particular. Um, There's a... You know, winds of doctrine sweep through the church all the time. And, of course, over the past 20-some years, healing has really been to the forefront. That Oh, a Christian can be healed. You can receive your healing. God will heal you. I don't know. Previous to that, it seems like apparently the church just felt like, you know, yeah, we just get sick and die. I do believe that God can heal you. But along with that is then we get the doctrine And we begin to promote it. We begin to preach it. And then we pray for somebody. We'll pray for you. God will heal you. We pray for them and they don't get healed. So we go, well, something's wrong with you. So I call those winds of doctrine. I don't know why a person might not get healed. I really don't. 
But what I will do is I'll continue to pray. I'll pray for you. And if I see you again a, a week later or a day later, I'll pray for you again. And I'll pray for you every time it comes to mind. Just a short idea of how this works is when my wife is sick. When I was a young man. It doesn't happen anymore that way. When my wife would be sick, I would immediately lay hands on her. Say, be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm hungry. <laughs> Am I too honest? Am I too honest? Be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, I wouldn't say I'm hungry, but that's my motivation. You know, get, get healed so you can get up and take care of the family. When I'm sick... And she prays for me. I'm like, well, sometimes it takes a while for the Lord to heal, for the healing to manifest. <clears throat> All right, let's go over to Job 41. I'm off task, aren't I? Sorry. This is interesting. In Job... Chapter 41, beginning with verse 1. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook? Or put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or implore you for pity? Will it agree to work for you, to be your slave for, your, for life? Can you make it a pet like a bird or give it to your little girls to play with? goes on to talk about Leviathan. Now, the scripture refers to Leviathan as a creature of the sea, untamable, unpredictable, unmanageable, all-powerful. Now, let's go over to chapter, uh, verse, chapter 41, verse... Um, if I can find where I'm at here, verse 34. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. It is the king of beasts. But other translation says, it is king over the children of pride. It is the king over the children of pride. What? Oh. Here's Job having gone through all this stuff, and then he speaks about this near the end of the conclusion of his time of and his season of great trying. He talks about this this beast Leviathan and he describes it in great detail and then it says it's the king of the children of pride that tells me that it's a spiritual entity 
It's a spiritual being. Remember, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Pride being the number one gateway. Pride, the number one gateway to allow all, all other spirits to influence our soul's access. Now, that's a lot different than saying to your child or your brother or sister, they do a great accomplishment and you say, man, I'm really proud of you. You did a great job. It's a whole different thing there. Pride exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what this is all about. Satan exalted himself, said, I will be like the Most High. I will sit, be seated on the sides of, uh, uh, of the north. And it didn't happen. Because there's only one. But what I want to say here is as we're dealing with our souls, we have to come to a place of dismantling uh, strongholds, mindsets that are in our souls. We have to dismantle these mindsets. Um, I've never been on the battlefield, but I, I love to read uh, history, Civil War, Revolutionary War, World War II. I've read a lot of books about that, um, watched a lot of movies. When you are able to take an advancement and move forward and take territory from the enemy, you dismantle their strongholds. So they, should you have to retreat, they no longer have those. We have to dismantle strongholds or mindsets in our souls. Probably the first one is pride. If God is real, he's just going to have to tell me himself. That's how important I am. Only God can tell me. You can't tell me. I love as a pastor, sometimes I run into this um, from Christians. Nobody tells me what to do. I hear from God. Now, I believe that. That's all that answer needs. I, be I believe that. I believe you. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. I'm not going to change your mind. Your soul is manifesting itself right there, saying, you're not going to tell me what to do. I hear from God. And I only do what God tells me to do. Now, do I believe that as a p pastor I'm so important that I should be telling you what to do? No. I don't. I think that's abusive authority. But again, I would take you to the Word of God because it's the Word of God that will transform you, will change your soul, will bring you about those changes in your soul. So, dismantling mindsets. Here's what has to take place. Um, there's a saying here, if, let me, I wrote it down. Apparently, I didn't write it down. 
But there is a saying, if there's fruit, there's a root. If there's fruit in your life that's not good, that's bringing you about just issues and problems and relationship problems and financial problems or just whatever kind of problem there might be, that's called fruit. If there's fruit, there's a root. What do we do with that? First of all, you've got to lay a platform, I believe, in dismantling um, strongholds. We have to lay a platform of repentance. Repentance is not feeling sad about something that you've done. A platform of repentance is acknowledging before God that the enemy has a stronghold on your soul. God, search me, O oh God, know my heart. If you find any, God, I'm dealing with this issue. I remember there was a real time in my marriage where I had to say, God, I do not know how to love my wife. As you say, Christ loves the church. I don't know how to do it, God. I just don't. I remember I was on the knees in my kitchen just sweating bullets because the stress on on our marriage was so great at that moment. I mean, it wasn't like she had a gun on me or anything like that. But uh, I was, God, I, I just was convicted that I did not know how to properly love my wife. I saw this scripture that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I don't know how to do that, God. That's a, called a platform of repentance. The platform is God. I don't know how. I acknowledge my failing. I acknowledge my shortcoming before you, God. And then I said, Only you know how to do that. Change me. And a miracle happened. Suddenly I became the best husband in the world. I cannot tell you what changed. I really cannot. But she felt it in her spirit. She called me up. She said, something's changed. I said, yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Anyway, I can't, I don't know, I'll I'll remember all the details of that. But uh, after that, she just, every year she buys me a shirt saying I'm the best husband in the world. (laughs) Dismantling mindsets, you've got to acknowledge the areas the enemy has a hold on your soul. Acknowledge your wrong doings and your wrong thinking. Acknowledge it. God, I'm thinking wrong in this area. God, my actions are wrong here. I keep having these outbursts. That's fruit. 
Where there's fruit, there's a root. So we need to acknowledge it as sin before God and confess it. God, I have sinned. Forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Because see, okay, now here is the dividing soul and spirit, the, the, the bone and marrow, the, the nitty gritty. This is the division. It's like our mind gets all caught up right there and saying, yeah, I got to change. You don't have the power to change, but the Holy Spirit on you has the power to change. It says of Caleb, it says he was able to enter in because he was of a different spirit. Why for 40 years would you just wander around the same piece of desert? Because your soul's. We're in control. You want victory? You want to be like a Caleb? You want to go into the promise? You want to be like that? Then be a man, a woman of a different spirit. The spirit of God. I love that scripture. Caleb was of a different spirit. He refused to live in that soulish pattern. He said, I'm not going to do it. We ask for forgiveness and the blood of Jesus washes the sin away. And then you begin to align yourself with God's word. Second Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it talks about bringing your thoughts into the captivity of God and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring them into to captivity. Bring them into subjection to the Spirit of God. When you are born again, you have the power to be more than a conqueror. What's more than a conqueror? I believe the Lord showed me this one day because I thought of that for a long time. What's more than a conqueror? More than a conqueror is a conqueror comes in and subdues the land or subdues a people. A more than a conqueror doesn't just subdue, he propagates something else altogether. It's amazing to me if you read about Genghis Khan, right? Genghis Khan, they said, how many people in the world today still have DNA from that guy? He was more than a conqueror. He was a producer. Now that may be, I don't know, the wrong illustration, but I don't think so. I think God has called us to be more than conquerors. He's called us to be producers in the kingdom of God that leave behind us not just a, a, a subjected people, but a people that have, um, um, what am I looking for? Somebody give me a word. Expectation. 
deliverance, freedom, power to be a people who were once not a people, but now they're the people of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.